Okay, good morning. We're going to do it off the computer today. So I'm faced with the task of giving a shear about someone who not only do I know nothing about or didn't know much about, but also there's not much written about them. And there are many people in this room who knew this person either personally or family of this person. But we will try. Today is the yards at the fourth shvat of Rav Nathan Zuber, Nassen Nata Bemenachem Mendel. Who was he? We, he was, he, I don't know if he turned it himself, the chief rabbi of Roselle. He began there in 1926 and served there until 1976. So many, many years. Um, he was born in, uh, in Russia in 1904. When he first came to America, he was a rebbe in the base Medrash Lerabonim, which was in New Haven, Connecticut. That was a yeshiva that some of the greats who came to America passed through. I believe Moshe Feinstein was a rebbe there at one point. Um, I think Ruderman may have spent some time there, and he was a Rebbe there. Afterwards, he came to Roselle, and he was known to be a Bucky, a expert in Shas and Poskim. In fact, he even wrote on, a, on, his, on his tombstone, which I sent out, he wrote, that, that, that was one of the things they wrote on his tombstone. He said he sat in Roselle for many, many years, more than 60 years, in a Bucky Nifla, a, an amazing uh, Bucky, an expert in, in Torah. He had a brother, by the way, this brother we're going to speak about for a minute, of Yaakov Yisrael. He was the chief rabbi in, in Stockholm. He was also Chavi's great-grandfather. He was Chabad. So I don't know if Rabbi Zuber is Chabad also. I mean, it makes sense, Menachem Mendel. And then later in life, he, he was affiliated. I don't know his exact affiliation. He was Chabad? He was Chabad. Um, his brother uh, is a little more famous, just in the Chabad world especially. He was... Uh, they, they, if you go on Chabad.org, it's a lot about him. He was very involved in Free Lagunos. I found a Kuntras he wrote in 1946, right after the war, called the Kuntras Tikunagunos. Uh, it's about 15, 16 pages, trying to free these chain women. Um, he was, uh, very sadly, he was murdered. Yeah. He was murdered in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Um, also, his tombstone has, he has a, uh, a lot to say. Something else I found at Rabbi Zuber was, after the war, they started a printing press in Boston called Maori R. Maori R in Boston. There is, a, there is a publishing house now called Maori R, but I don't think there's any relationship. That one's based in Uchelion. This was in Boston. And the point, of this, the point in this printing press was to republish all these works that had, and they effectively had been lost during the Holocaust. So I found in the, inset, uh, in the uh, inserted into one of the first books that they printed, it said, in the destru- this world destruction, So when, especially it says when they, when they came during the Second World War to destroy, destroy the Jewish people, they, one of the things the Nazis did was they went out of their way to destroy and burn all Jewish texts. And he says, and therefore, um, he, said, he basically says, and therefore it's, it's, up, it's upon us now and anyone who can to help out and to republish works. And they started this, this printing press, um, which I found subsequent works. And who, who was on the VOD, who was on the board of this printing press? Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Zuber, which is his brother. Rabbi Yosef Mayer Jacobson, who was a rabbi in Boston, I think, believe in Newton. He himself has written many farms, some on Hilchashabbos. Rav Nassim Nata Zuber, Rabbi Zuber, and Rav Yom Tov Parlik, Parlik, who I couldn't find anything about. 
So again, he was involved in printing, in printing these farm. And I found, it happens to be in later editions, they didn't put his name. I found a Shulchan Aruch they put out. Um, but that was as well something he was, he was very involved in. And I spoke to Rabbi Rosenberg from Amora Hills. He told me he was just a, a, a gentleman. A gentleman who was an extreme un of a very humble person. He said that when he was sick in the hospital at the end of his life, he wasn't, he wasn't conscious, but his lips were moving and he was learning. Because when you spend your life learning and so connected to it, so then you, know, you dream Torah. Um, and then he also had, um, has, he had two Sfarm he put out. Two Sfarm he put out. I found one in our library, the Zichro Menachem. The first one, Zichro Menachem was his father who was killed during a pogrom. In it, I found a newspaper clipping, probably from local news. There's no date on it. It says, Roselle Rabbi would rather write than retire. It talks about how at this point he's been uh, 30 years in the job. He's 65 years old. He's uh, spry, uh, he's 60, spry 65. And it writes about how he's writing his first book, which is 30 years of writing, rewriting, clarification. And it talks about you know, what he's doing. And who translated part of the book? Rabbi Shapiro. Rabbi Aaron Shapiro. Of here. Uh, that was book number one. Book number two was translated by Rabbi Tites, Rabbi, the younger Rabbi Tites. The back of it, there was some, there was the back of it, there's a couple of the tshuvas. So the book is comprised of uh, Chidushim he had on Bavli, Yerushalmi, and the Shiltos. Shiltos being a little more obscure, it just shows you the breadth of him. As well as Shilas and Tshuvos, questions and answers that he had, which I think really give you a window into what was taking place in, you know, in America in the 1940s and 50s and 60s. And then the, la- the latter end of it, uh, and this one is actually all Hilchas Avelis, a lot of which I hope to incorporate in our Smichas Chavar. Um, and then he has some drushas in the um, his other book, uh, the, uh, the, the Nasan um, Natan. He has it in there as well. So what's, what, what are we dealing with in America in the, 19, the 1940s, 50s, and 60s? Unfortunately, he doesn't put any dates, and he puts very little who wrote the questions. You know, sometimes it's interesting that you can get a window also into the world that you see who wrote the questions. There's a, uh, there's a Charles and Chuvos called the, um, by um, Rivervos Ephraim. Rivervos Ephraim was Rev. Ephraim Greenblatt, Talmud of Rav Moshe Feinstein, Rev. Not the Greenblatt's uh, uncle or nephew, I think his nephew. He lived in Memphis, Tennessee. So who's he corresponding with? All these Rabbanim who lived throughout the West, uh, Western United States. Many of them are like Rav Zuber, probably most people never heard of them, and they were these huge Iluyim, Bukim, and Tamni Chachamim. We've lost many of them, we, uh, of their names. We don't have their Svarim. That's why I pointed out before, Tzvika Reisman started HebrewBooks.org, the purpose of it was to save a lot of these svarim for posterity, to scan them so people have them. In fact, when I found this in the library, the first thing I did was I went to Hebrew Books to try to scan it in. Someone did it already. But just again, it's to save these, to save these works. Um, so one of the reasons the Rebbe of Ephraim is, is exciting is because he's quoting Rabbanim no one ever heard of. When I started going through here, I found it as well. There's a, a Rabbi Ram in, um, Ram, Rabbi Ram was in, what did he, what did he put, for Plainfield, New Jersey. You hear Ram from Plainfield, New Jersey? He talks about that. He talks about, you know, sitting next to Rabbi Tites, Rabbi, Elder Rabbi Tites at a Simcha, Rabbi Tites shared with Machidish, and he disagreed with him. He records it in here as well. So you get to see that. Um, he talks about the younger Rabbi Tites. So you see a lot of um, interesting things. There was a rabbi who I couldn't find who, Rabbi Gershon Metzger. It seems like he was an Israeli rabbi, and they had a lot of correspondence, and a lot of the questions were very interesting. So I want to just go through, we don't have to go through the answers, but go through some of the questions we see he's dealing with. Okay. First, first question. This is in the other, this is in the, the Nasa Natan, not in this one. It says as follows. There was a chayal 
again, I don't know if this is in World War II or this is in Israel, who knows, who, when he was in a great situation of uh, sorrow, of, of, I guess, a very dangerous situation, he said to himself, uh, I'm making a neder, I'm taking a vow to God, that if God saves me, from now on I will no longer be Michal Shabbos, I'll, des- I'll no longer desecrate Shabbos, and I'll only eat kosher. Okay. He returns home, and his wife is kind of upset. And she's like, uh, that's not exactly what we agreed on. We got married. I don't want to keep Shabbos, and I don't keep, plan on keeping kosher. And now he wants to know, is, is he able to get out of this vow? Is he able to get out of this vow? Um, uh, and part of the reason is, normally we say a vow that's taken, you can't, especially a vow for a mitzvah you can't get out of. But here, the soldier didn't, like, he wasn't sitting in the foxhole and screamed out, Hey, God! I take a nether, I take an oath that I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to keep Shabbos. He thought it. He's probably shooting his gun. He thought it. So what he wants to know is, is thinking equivalent to speaking when it comes to vows? And if it's not equivalent to speaking, maybe he can get out of the vow and he can go back to living his normal life in Roselle, New Jersey. That was question number one. We don't have to go through the answer, but suffice it, after a long discussion, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Zuber did not absolve him from his vow and kind of set off like, God should help you. Okay. A few later, um, this is an interesting one. Again, talks, t- this talks about, um, this, uh, when it comes, there's a lot, of, a lot of things about availus and, and, and death. So, and I think that's oftentimes when people become a little bit more, they co- turn to the rabbi, especially those who are less religious, is when it comes to areas of death. So this one was a, um, uh, the question to a chacham, that a, woman, a man was married to a woman, she passed away, and then he, re- he gets remarried. Now, one of the, th- the deals he made with his first wife was when he dies, he's going to be buried next to her. Now, the second wife says, I want to be buried next to you. And apparently, there's some sort of, there's some sort of minhug is we don't bury a man between two women. So what do you do? First wife, second wife, is there a way to kind of accommodate both of them? Interesting question. He had a bunch of questions on suicide. He said that for some reason, um, that kept on coming up over and over again. Well, it's Smichas We discussed some of these things. Um, a bunch of questions about suicide. Again, tragically, he was dealing with that a lot. Some, some happened. Some he talks about in the article. People expressed him that they wanted to commit suicide, and they talked about that. He had another question, which also Smichas Chaver question. Someone from Roselle goes to Israel, gets sick, and dies there. So they say, are you allowed to take a body? We know you're allowed to perhaps take a body from America to Israel, the subject of this week's Smichas Chaver. Can you take a body from Israel back to America? What do you think? Yes? What do you think, Daniel? Is she clever? Why? What was, what we, so in Smith clever we discussed one of the main principles was being buried with family, yeah. which overrides even being buried in a nicer cemetery. Um, yeah. Here's another one he dealt with was could a woman be drafted to the army? So if anyone knows a little history, this was a very contentious issue in Israel. The Chaznish famously said, Yahar Val Yavar, it's better to give your life up than to, uh, for a woman to go to the army. He was very, very opposed to it, and the Haredi world was very opposed to it, and they asked Rabbi um, Zuber, and what did he say? So he started talking about, well, first of all, we have to determine there's two types of wars. There's Mechemes Rishus, an optional war, we want to conquer land. Mechemes Mitzvah, a war that we do in order to, uh, for our own safety, in order for, for our own security. He says, the halach is that when it comes to Mechemes Rishos, we have the whole parish of the Torah. We say anyone who's scared can go home. Anyone who just got married can go home. Who built a new house can go home. Who uh, planted a vineyard can go home. 
When it comes to Mechemes Mitzvah, we say even a Kala Mechupasa, a Kala who just got married, goes out to war. This is a, this is a war for our, uh, exist- for our existential safety, for our, for our safety. Says Rabbi, so says Rabbi Zuber, at first glance it seems a woman could go to war. And then he, see, he, he says there are a couple problems. Some of the issues are the fact that we, we have a concept of, of Kli Gever, that we know a man can't dress like a woman, a woman can't dress like a man. Part of a, man, a woman not dressed like a man is she's not supposed to have uh, weapons. Weapons are, are, are things for a man, not for a woman. And he goes, oh, what about this Gemara that says a woman goes to war? He quotes her Targum Yonason as well as others who say maybe she goes as a, um, she's going to help bring supplies. Right? I think if you look at the statistics, most of the army is actually, they're, they're supporting. They're not actually the fighters. The fighters are just a, a, small, a small portion of the army. What do you say? Well, this is, this is, this is, so this, is, this is the 50s, and this is the 50s in Israel, and therefore he, he thinks a woman should not be going to battle, she could be joining the army, but not as a, uh, in combat unit. He had a bunch of questions about intermarriage, uh, man marries a, uh, a woman marries a, a, a non-Jewish man, the son wants to get an aliyah to the Torah, how do you call them up? He has questions about, um, a bunch of questions about Gairus, which is interesting. Um, he had a question about, can a, a boy, daven for the, a boy who's not bar mitzvah, daven for the Amr? And I'm just thinking about Roselle, 1950s and 60s, why these would come up. Um, so hit, the answer, it depended on what, and he kind of went back and forth. Right? Um, he had a letter to his brother. His brother shared with him a Chiddush. I always enjoy this. Like, I, I, Rav Usher Weiss has a number of letters where his brother asks him a question, he responds. So he had, his brother shared with him a Chiddush, and he argues with his brother and says, I think you're wrong. And lastly, this is an interesting one. We'll just go through this a little bit here. He has a question was, a man, uh, someone's father passed away on the day that he had a bris for his son. The, um, the, the, the son had a bris for the grandson. So father dies. Now the son's an onane. And he has a bris for his son. What comes first? Burying the father or, or doing the bris? What if you can't bury the father in time and the bris has to be done on the eighth day? Ah, well, that's exactly what they did. So Mishu Onain, ready for this? He says as follows. Someone's Onain, Roslomar, Vieshlo, Rechmon El Tzlan, Vieshlo Ben Lemal, and he has a son who has to, uh, be, has to, be, has to have a bris milah. In Mutar Lemal called Makvura. Can you do the milah before the Kavura? So he says it first. This is a Machlokas, the Marshal and Ramah. The Marshal says, Im Yesh Bo Leonin Lemal Vadayin Lo Nikvar Hameis, the Mekomokam Yimah Haben, Achal Matzisik, fine. So, see, the Marshal says, do it first. The Ramah says, don't do the burial first. What if there is no time? What if there is no time? So you do the, you, 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 you do the mila first. The problem is, can you make the bracha? Because one of the things we know, in Onain, someone whose relative passed away and they had not yet buried them, is putter from mitzvos. Mitzvos ase. We also know, not only putter from mitzvos ase, but they're not supposed to make brachos, and we discussed in Smichas Chavar is that they're not allowed to make brachos, they're not supposed to make brachos. With Bristol, you appoint a which is Moel. No, but the father makes a bracha. So we'll, we'll, so, we'll, so we'll get there. It could be a submit, this is specifically on the father to make the bracha. So one of the things you also discussed in Smichas Chavar was a big discussion what if you have a mitzvah that's over, it's going to pass, like uh, uh, on Purim? Or a mitzvah, uh, or spheres um, to Omer. So there, there's more room to allow it. But he says as follows: A, you can maybe point the sandik to say it, as he was pointed out. Um, why that is, we're not going to get into. But then he says something else. He said one of the things we discussed was why is it that an onain is putter for mitzvos? 
It's seemingly the way we paskin was osik mitzvah patim in a mitzvah, meaning to say because you're supposed to be involved in the burial of your relative, so therefore you're absolved from mitzvah so you can be involved in the burial. Well, we then said, what if you're no longer involved, as in we're Muslim often, we give it over to the Heber Kadisha. Once you give it to the Heber Kadisha, you're now no longer considered an Onain. We noted nowadays that even when you give to the Heber Kadisha, we're still very involved in the burial. In fact, we even said, let's say you're flying the body to Israel. So you can't be involved in the burial because you're on the plane. Some, I think Rav Shalom Zalman said, so then you're, considered, you're no longer considered an Onain on the plane, you should make brachos. Rav Bullock said, no, you're probably writing the eulogy. Now we can get Wi-Fi on the plane for a million dollars, and you can... Uh, be involved in all sorts of arrangements, and therefore you're still part there. He wants to say, but if you think of it this way, if you give the body to the Heber Kedisha, and already this is like a mitzvah of Eres, and the fact that you know, you have, the, the meal has to be done, all that together he thinks you can still allow the father to make the bracha. The father can make the bracha. But no, the, the question is the bracha. The question is the bracha. It's not, it's not about that. It's more about respect for the um, it's respect for the, uh, the the mace. So again, here just like a, again a number of different a number of different um, uh, chuvas you see in the sefer that Rabbi Zuber was dealing with, and I thought it was important to do something in his uh, in his memory. Again, I never met him, but he seemed like an extraordinary individual, a big time in Chacham. So the shir should be uh, zechus in merit for his neshama.